0: Well, I invite you to grab your bulletin or your outline this morning for the message, and it's entitled Discovering Value. And value is something that we, whether formally or informally, do all the time. We determine what what really is important, what has a worth, and what we're going to invest in it. And when you think about it, there's all kinds of ways people determine value, and you can see in terms of the cost or the the value in terms of how much is put out to, to make it happen. Now, I don't know of you, some of you aren't that current with you know, news and things like that, but there was a, was there kind of a wedding this past weekend? <laughs> Anybody not know about that wedding? Well, you know, the, the royal wedding was this, this past weekend, and I, I, how many watched any parts of that? Most of the ladies, and Caleb is raising his hand. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, I didn't watch the wedding, but I did see some, uh, you know, the ESPN Sport News highlights of them. I, I did see some of the news, and it was, it was pretty exciting that, that one of the main characters in that service, the pastor, Michael Curry, got as much pub as anybody else. They were just amazed at his ability to capture the hearts and the ears of the people there, and... And it was, uh, I, I kind of listened to his, the recap of his message, and it was great. He was, he was talking about Jesus, and he was talking about the power of love and how love changes people's lives, and it's expressed most powerfully in what Jesus did when he came here and sacrificed his life for others. And it was amazing just to, to hear that gospel spread in the, in the midst of that wedding. But I was also kind of struck with the, uh, I guess you call it the trivia, uh, how much did that wedding actually cost? Now, the, the studies I looked at that, and some of are just estimates at now at, at this point, but that wedding cost forty two point eight million dollars. Forty two point eight million dollars. Now, some of that is shocking. Some of you actually live in this world, but they, they as they kind of di- they dissect why it costs that much. Anywhere between ninety to ninety four percent of that wedding was for security purposes. And they say up to $40.1 million out of the $42.8 million was just keeping people safe. But there are some things that was interesting about that wedding. Uh, some of you ladies might be interested in how much that dress cost. And again, they don't have the full uh, data in. They haven't actually announced it. But they compare it with some other wedding dresses that were similar, made by the same person, things like that. That wedding dress cost $500,000, a half a million. Now that, that me being an experienced baker, because I've now baked one cake you know, on Mother's Day this last year, <laughs> I, I was really interested to find out, well, how much did the wedding cake cost? Now, it was interesting as I did some study on that, that ranged the, the scale in terms of how much they thought it cost, but they said that you put everything involved in getting that cake there, and making it, and presenting it, and slicing it, and giving it to everybody who needs to get a slice of it, uh, it came to $71,600 to make that cake. So as we, think, <laughs> as, we, as we think about value, we can often judge value by just simply how much did it cost. Now, there are other things that cost a lot. Sometimes they're surprising. Collectibles are things that can be somewhat interesting in terms of how much things become worth to other people. I was looking up in, in, uh, sneakers or basketball shoes. And I, I'm a Michael Jordan fan, and his, his shoe came out. I think his first shoe was Nike Jordan 1. And if you have that shoe in your possession, it costs $65 if you bought it new. It's now worth $2,715. Now, I'm a Michael Jordan fan. I like basketball shoes. I've worn a lot of them. But, you know, I I would not pay $2,715 for an old pair of shoes. But there are other things that people will will sell for, you know, action comic books. You know, the, the Avengers is now the... Biggest grossing film, at least started out in the first weekend. Action comic books, published in 1938, they're now worth $1.4 million. And then uh, Hot Wheels, I remember my kids playing a little bit with that, and actually, I played a little bit with Hot Wheels. If you happen to have in your possession a pink Volkswagen, rear-loaded, beach bomb, valued now at $100,000. Which is just a few more pennies than when I bought new my Hyundai accent. All right. Hundred thousand dollars. All right. A little hot wheel pink Volkswagen. And so as you think about value, value is whatever people will pay for something, at least one way to measure that. It's interesting when they think about measurement, there is there is a there is a precise Statement about value. The value in a scientific or mathematical perspective is this. The value is that what could be attained in an ideal measurement. The measurement would have to have no errors. A value that is something that is perfectly and accurately measured. So as we think about value, value kind of changes based on the desire of the public, Uh, it changes based on who wants and who doesn't want it. It's based on the ability of the the people to obtain what they desperately want to to get. But there is a value that's beyond just our human measurement, and that's the value that God puts on what is valuable. This morning we're going to look at a passage that, in many ways, is a humbling passage for pastors to preach because there's no way to do justice to it. it. It's in the middle, basically, of... The Gospel of Luke, not quite the middle, but it's found in Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to Luke chapter 15. And in it, Jesus tells three stories. In that particular day, they call those stories parables. The parables were a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It was something very simple, something very clear that people could relate to because it was part of their life. And all of a sudden, what would happen, particularly from the words in the mouth of Jesus... It would have a significant meaning that could last for eternity if you understand its implication, its application for your own life. And and what Jesus was doing in the context of what he was sharing these stories, and we're only going to look at two of them this week, and we'll look at the other one next week, Lord willing, is he was speaking to to people about what really has value, eternal value in this life. And he was pleading with them to discover it. He was doing anything on his part to, to bring it to that point where they can understand it with conviction and faith. But he wanted them to know what was of eternal worth and what really has accurately value in all of life. And and so my goal for you this morning is pretty simple. It's the same one for me as I was wrestling with this passage or studying this passage. I want to have you leave this place being convinced that you are of great immeasurable value from our perspective and only can be measured by God's hand. You are of eternal value. But not only that, as we think about the value that we have on our lives, marked by the imprint of God's hand on our life, is that we are called to value others the same way God values others. And so often the message is missed that we miss that God values us, but he's called us to value others as well. And so let's look at it this morning, and, and to kind of hang our hat on the points of the passage, I, I, I'm putting this way this morning, is, is there enough value to, to truly follow Jesus? Because if there isn't, quite frankly, I, I just want to tell you, then don't follow him. But if there is value to follow Jesus, then th- this is the most important commitment you'll ever make in this life. And then secondly, I want to talk about, well, what do we learn about value is Jesus tells two Two stories two little parables. What does he drive home as he tells two stories? And then thirdly, and it's always to be fundamentally about Jesus, what is, it, what is it that is valuable to remember about Jesus that should always be at the front point of our heart and our mind? And really the message, and it's really true about it, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, is the message of Jesus is for those who don't believe as well as for those who do believe. The gospel is for those who don't believe and the gospel is for those who, don't believe for those who, don't, who do believe. Because it changes how we live and how we think about life and what really is important. So let's see it this morning and we'll, we'll race through this as, as much as we can. I don't know what parts I'll leave out, what parts I'll continue in terms of look, the things I looked at. But I, I want to ask, answer, first of all, a very simple question. Is there enough value in following Jesus? In, in the context of these three stories, the two that we're going to look at today, one is the, the lost sheep and the other's the last coin. The other one is the prodigal son. And If you're familiar with the Bible all, you've probably heard a little bit about those three stories, so now we're going to see them this day. But but Jesus told a story about a lost sheep and a lost coin and a a lost son, and and he he just drives home what is really important, what what has worth, what has value. But the context of him telling the stories is is amazing because really he's been talking to the the religious leaders and the crowd about what it's going to take on their part to, to really follow him. And they are struck with, well, is it, does it have enough value? Does Jesus have enough value to, to really follow him? And when you think about getting something that you think you might want, eventually you get down to the point, well, just how much is it going to what? How much is it going to cost? And so we have the background of this passage in Luke 15 from a section we looked at a couple weeks ago when. When a large crowd came to him, and picking up the account in Luke chapter 14, verse 25, we, we have Jesus saying this. Now, large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I can't re-preach that message, or I could, but we would never have gone to the next message, is that he's not talking about that you ought to really hate your father and mother, but in comparison to your relationship with me, how valuable you see the relationship with me, there is no comparison. You are to love me more than anyone or anything else in this world because I am the source of anything that's good in this life. And you have to come to that point where you see me as the one who is to be followed and loved more than anyone else in this world. That's the cost. And, and just like all of us, when we hear that, hate, hate your father and your mother, and we're saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm all in on that. And he said that strongly because I want you to know there's a cost. And then he goes on and says in verse 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. The, the cross was a, was an emblem of, of, of punishment and, and of of death. If you're not willing to die for me, this don't even, don't even make the, take the next step in following me. Then he tells a somewhat complicated story about, um, well, the next one he goes, it's pretty clear. He goes, "For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it began to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. And then he summarizes another statement. He goes on in verse 33. So, so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. I'm asking you to be all in on this. You've got to be willing to give me everything, all who you are, that you don't look at your life, is that what you need to hold on to, but you need to let it go, and saying, this is the one who is the source of all life, all what's really of value, and I'm all in. Now, after hearing a message like that, I would think all of them are saying, okay, I've got to think about this just a little bit more before I decide to be one of your disciples, one of your followers, one who's going to commit his life to you. So in that setting, what we have is a couple of responses. Luke chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Uh, Just two little verses, but it really sets the context for the the two stories we're going to look at. Here you had those, and all of them were challenged by what he had to say, and yet you had a group of people who didn't run from the words of Jesus or run from Jesus, but they invited him in into their homes, and, and they wanted to hear more. Yeah, reading that first section that we just went over, I, I want to hear less. I, I don't want to hear more challenge. I want to hear less challenge. But they wanted more. They wanted more. And so when we think about, is it worth it to follow Jesus? For some, it's, I, I don't like how much it costs to follow Jesus. But there were a group of people who said, I don't care what it costs. This is my only hope. But then you have the other group, the religious leaders, and they say, well, wait a minute. I'm second back here because I don't think it's quite as valuable as I thought it was. Because sometimes we value certain things by not what, how, what we like, but what, what other people like, right? If someone thinks a certain piece of music is just awesome to listen to, and you listen to it the first time, and you say, well, I don't even like it, but but if they like it, maybe, maybe I should like it. Have you ever been there? Been there? Or maybe you, there's a restaurant, and, and you go in there, and they're talking about how great the restaurant is, and you go, well, I, didn't, I didn't even want to try it, but man, if they like it, maybe I should try it. Or, or, or probably more common, have you ever ever read movie reviews, and someone just trashes the movie, and, and then you go see it, and go, well, I really like the movie. How come they didn't like it? But you almost didn't go because what somebody else said about it. Well, this is, where the, this is where the Pharisees were saying, wait, wait, this can't be the person that we're supposed to give up everything to follow because look who's around him. Look, look at the people that he hangs out with. If you notice, did any of you get a wedding invitation to the royal wedding this, this past? I mean, what happened? Okay, I mean, don't people know who I am? Okay, you know, the only people who got invited were the people that were really important, right? And so it must have been a big wedding because it was, we call it a royal wedding. We didn't call it just a wedding. We call it a royal wedding. Only royal-type people got to go to that. And and that's how they were. Look at at the people who are around Jesus. In fact, the Pharisees, as they look at this, they they go, uh, look at the people who hang out. They are the people that we've already decided that you shouldn't be around. In fact, they had, William Barclay puts it this way, he says, as you look at the description about them, they were called the people of the land. There was a phrase for them, people of the land. And the people of the land were the people you would never entrust money to, you would take no testimony from them in a court, you would not be with them, you would not share with them any, anything that was confidential, you would not appoint them a guardian, even an orphan, you would not make them custodian of any type of funds, you would not even accompany them on a journey. A Pharisee was forbidden to, to be the guest of any such man or to have him in his home. It was even forbidden as it was possible to have any kind of business dealings, any kind of sharing of, of, of goods with a person like this. The, the tax collectors were considered traitors. They were the people that had given in to Rome and, and they, were, they were making money on the backs of their own people. They were, they were charging more money to give them resources that they could live in a, in a luxury luxurious way, because they just wanted to have what other people didn't have. And, and so they said, this cannot be of value considering who really is going after it. And, and so as we think about, about following Jesus, we have to decide, well, h- how do we know how much it's worth? Now, the, the challenge about looking at, and I was just sharing with, with Matt right before we came in, when you look at, you look at the, the commitment that Jesus asked, it, it's it's overwhelming. You've got to hate your father and mother and everyone else in your family, even yourself. You've got to be willing to, to suffer and to die for me, You carry your cross. You, you've got to be willing to give up all your possessions. You've got, to, you've got to really consider, is this something you're all into? And you say, well, I, I, thought it was, I thought it was supposed to be easy. Well, it is easy in our part. It didn't cost us to go to the cross. But it demands all of us if we're going to be all of who we are, if we're going to follow him. And keeping somewhat the idea of the wedding. Now, when you think about a wedding, a wedding's pretty simple. It's simply, I, I, I do and I will, right? But after you say, I do and I will, it demands what? Everything. So as we think about discovering value, you have to decide, is, is Jesus worth the cost? Is, is Jesus worth associating with everyone people unlike you, coming from all kinds of strata and saying, hey, they're just like me. As someone said, the ground is level at the cross. There isn't anybody any more important. There isn't anybody of more value because we all are in desperate need of what only Jesus can give. And there was a whole group there that did not get this. So Jesus goes on and says, well, let me just tell you a couple stories. And here are the stories this morning. Hopefully we'll just get the simple simplicity but profound truth of what he has to say here. In Luke chapter 15, he tells a story about a lost sheep. So he, verse 3, Jesus, told them this parable, this earthly story with a heavenly meaning, saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. For I found my sheep which was lost. I, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need No repentance. As Jesus was telling that story, it was it was shocking to them because they they began to realize look at we all live in this culture in which we we don't want to be the shepherd because it's kind of a lowly position. It's a seven-day a week job. Often you are not the owner of the sheep, you are the custodian of the sheep. There's often multiple ones that are with you, but it's a 24-7 job. You've got to be with those sheep all the time. It's a dirty, thankless job other than when it's delivered to the sheep for whatever it's used for, whether it's for food or for clothing. And, and yet we know the value of every sheep, and we've all seen that, experienced that when the, when the sheep is lost, the shepherd goes out to get it, and no matter what the cost and when, no matter what the danger, he, he does everything to recover it. And if for some reason that sheep has perished, he'll do whatever it takes to bring back what is left of the sheep to show that he's gone to great lengths to recover it. And they began to think, well, well, if, if that be true and we recognize that as a need, if a simple animal needs to be pursued and rescued, how much more valuable is any lost person made in God's image? See, they had, they had a sense of value in their own sense, the religious leaders, because they, they looked down at everyone else and they thought they were better than someone else. Now, we as church people never do that, right? We, we, we never do that. We never look down certain people and say, well, you know, but they were doing it. And we do it in so many subtle ways where somehow we think we're a little above somebody else. And all of a sudden, Jesus compared them to sheep. He said, you know, the, the one sheep that needs rescuing, there's much more joy in heaven for, for rescuing them than all those other 99 sheep that are still there, and, and they don't see their real need. They don't see their repentance because they're, they're so self-righteous. Often the shepherds, even if you had 100 sheep, you, you couldn't watch over 100 sheep, so there'd be two or three shepherds. Because we wonder, well, if the one shepherd left to find the one sheep, what would the other dumb sheep do? They would wander off as well. Now, they would leave a couple shepherds with the 99, but the one would risk everything to recover that sheep. And that sheep would be in great danger. I was reading from Philip Keller, who was a shepherd and writes on Psalm 23, and this is, this is what happens to sheep. When a sheep goes astray, uh, some very dangerous things can happen. A heavy, fat, or long-fleeced sheep will lie down comfortably in some little hollow or depression in the ground. It may roll on its side slightly to stretch out or relax. Suddenly, the center of gravity in the body shifts so that it turns on its back far enough that the feet no longer touch the ground. It may feel a sense of panic and start to paw frantically. Fr- uh, frantically, Frequently, this only happens makes things worse. It rolls over even further now it is quite impossible for it to regain its feet. And maybe if you're picturing this, it's you know, sheep on four, are they pause, I don't know what they are, four feet or whatever it might be. And all of a sudden it kind of rocks over and now it can't kind of move off its side and then it struggles more and all of a sudden it's totally on its back. It, it, because of its weight, it, it can't go to left or right. It's just there. He goes on and says this. As it, flo- as it lies there struggling, gases begin to build up in the rumen As these expand, they tend to retard and cut off blood circulation to the extremities of the body, especially the legs. If the weather is very hot and sunny, a cast sheep can die in a few hours. If it is cool and cloudy and rainy, it may survive in this position for several days, but it's facing death. And so that sheep is is well aware, if someone doesn't come to rescue him or her, it's going to die. And, and Jesus is painting the picture, here is one in desperate need, a sheep that has gone astray, and the shepherd goes to pursue it, to rescue it. And he says, here, here you are, you are muttering to yourself, and I can hear your muttering, I know what's all in your heart and your mind, and you are valuing these people who are so needy because of their sin, and, and we're all needy because of our sin, but they're beginning to recognize it. And no matter how much it costs, it costs everything. They see that I value them, that they have an imprint on their lives. And isn't it amazing about things that that have value? If, you know, if you had a, doesn't matter what famous baseball player you want to take, a Mickey Mantle rookie card with his signature on it, it would be worth a little bit more than my business car with my signature on it, you know? Why? Because it was Mickey Mantle that's on the car. And what Jesus was saying, God's signature is on your life. You are of eternal value that the shepherd will go out and risk his life for yours. And they're struck struck with this and they have nothing to say. But Jesus goes a step further. It doesn't just talk about the the lost sheep. Now he talks about a lost coin. Or or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When, When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there's joy in the, in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, again, they, they didn't really like stories about shepherds because they thought they kind of demeaned shepherds. And they, they really, in that day, in that culture, the women were not put on a pedestal. And, and so uh, they didn't really like identifying you know, any story with a woman. But they, they recognized just the desperate need of that woman to find what she had lost. You know, houses in those days were not, pretty, not very extravagant among the people of the land. It was, might have been a one-room hut type of thing. And, and the floor was a dirt floor. Sometimes there was straw upon it. And, and here you have the woman of the household, and, and she had lost one of her ten coins. The ten coins, it's Drachma or, or Darius uh, and, and Denarius. It's basically symbolic of a one-day wage. And as you think about that, that, that would be significant if you didn't have a whole lot of resources because that, that that's 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 used in time of need. And if somehow your 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 husband who went out to be a day laborer and there was no one hiring, you had to use one of those coins to, to feed the family. And so they, they could they could resonate how important that one coin was. Also, there's another possibility is that. When women would get married, they would have a headdress, and on the headdress, it's almost like your wedding ring, and it was a special dowry or it was a special remem- remembrance of how much you were loved and adored by the one you're married to. And there'd be ten coins on it, and it was like it would be like losing your your engagement ring, your diamond engagement ring, and all of a sudden you realize that this is not something insignificant. Have you noticed? It used to be, you know, you. A penny, saved is, what, a penny saved is a penny earned. Remember that one? Yeah. I guess I'm showing my age here. A penny saved. Now you see pennies on the ground, you go, I'm not stepping down for that, right? <laughs> a penny, there's, not, there's no worth to a penny. This was something of unmeasurable worth to her, whether it was a keepsake or whether it was a, a statement that we need this to exist as a family. And so she began to sweep her floor. This was not a a simple task because a dirt floor and maybe straw upon it. There there isn't a whole lot of light in rooms like this. In fact, depending upon who you read, I read a number of different sources. Some say that those houses had no windows. Some said, well, they maybe had an 18-inch little window. And so all you had to do, all you had to light up a room was to have a small lamp and so she began to sweep and to sweep and to sweep and to sweep and look over every single corner of that house to find the coin that was lost. You ever lost something extremely valuable and you, you know you needed to find it? I remember, I remember going, uh, sounds like I'm a surfer, but I'm not much of a surfer. I was going surfing with my kids, but I, and uh, we were going home, and I, I dropped my keys in the sand, and I didn't realize I had dropped my keys in the sand until I got to my car. I'm going back, I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. <laughs> How am I going to find these keys in all of this? You know, I, I knew the direction I was at, but, man, I scurried back, and I looked everywhere to find those keys. And I didn't find it, but my boy did, all right? <laughs> but, I mean, I desperately needed that I was going to get home. And you can amplify this, and, and these men who, who had such spiritual pride and say, look, look, There's no value to follow Jesus because look who's following him. And they forgot how valuable following him was because they had forgotten how valuable every person that God has made is. And they began to be humbled by the fact that a woman would give up all her time and efforts to find that which was lost. And you think about the very simple point and you could put it much more profoundly than I could but a lifeless coin. So at least a sheep has life. But now we're talking about an inanimate object, a lifeless coin needs to be searched for and found. How much more valuable is any lost person made in God's image? So you we can lose things. You know, we can hotwire a car. But when you lose people People are what matter to God. So how do we discover what is valuable? Often we just ask, well, how much does it cost? Who, who, who really wants it? Is, is, am I the only one who wants it? Or, or who are the type of people who want it? Or does it not matter who wants it because it, it is of, of extreme value? It doesn't matter what the cost is. It doesn't matter who, who, who others pursue, but this is what needs to be pursued. And, and when we do lose things in this life, how does that compare to losing people who will last for eternity? Real quickly, what, what, what is valuable in, to remember about Jesus? Well, let's just put it as simple as nope, nothing novel or profound. Number one, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and we are all lost. And that's really exactly what Luke 19 says. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we don't have to look around the room, well, I wonder who's lost here. No, we're all lost until we find Jesus. And really, it's Je- and this is the message of the story. Jesus is the shepherd, and Jesus is the woman. He's the one searching for us. Isaiah 53, 6 says, As all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. That's the human condition. We are of extreme value, but we have run away from the one who gives us value. And Jesus came, as the latter part of Isaiah 53, 6 says, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That which separates them from God, Jesus puts that on his shoulders. And the picture of the shepherd, when he brings back the sheep, he puts them on his shoulders and carries them into town. The town rejoices with him. And Jesus took all of our sin and put them on his shoulders. Secondly, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And John 10, 11 says that plainly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He made him who knew no sin do be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteous of God in Him. He is the one who searches for us. So on this end of the story, in, in Luke 14, He was talking about you've got to give up everything, but now He's saying, I've given up everything to pursue you. And again, very simply, Jesus calls His sheep to follow Him and He will give them eternal life. John 10, 27, 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And, and this, is, this is the great confidence that we have in Jesus is that it, is when you think about it, when we really know him, we, we have no fear that somehow we'll get lost again. I, I think this is part of my, my nature. I lose things not only once, but multiple times. And I'm thinking, when am I going to learn to, to put my keys in the same place every time, right? And, and now people have given me um, electronics to help that ha- not happen again, right? But Jesus never loses that which he owns. And he's the giver of life. And we, we often have talked, he not only gives us quantity of life, which is eternal life, he gives us quality of life, which is abundant life. But you know as we look at these two stories and we're going to look at them again and we'll look at one of them again next week. Is that inherent in the midst of the story which I haven't really touched on. Well why did why did God go to the great, these great lengths to say I'm sending my son to, to rescue that which is lost and gone astray. I'm sending my son to 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 rescue those who desperately need to see their value and their worth before a God that that's holy but but loves them. How, why why am I doing this? And inheriting the story is because of the joy God gets from rescuing people and imprinting on their heart not only are they of eternal value because they're made in my image, but because my son is dying for, it, for them. And so in the midst of these two stories, it said, once the sheep is found, once the coin is found, there is joy. There's joy in heaven as you see, see the heavenly meaning to the earthly story. There was earthly story for, for those who, who were in town who, who maybe owned the sheep and found that lost sheep that was found. Every, everyone was excited because that sheep was found because that was their sheep. But he said, "Look at this is a, this is symbolic of God being filled with joy because another one of His children who He has made has been rescued." And there's more joy in heaven than anything else that happens here on earth. So as you as you as you think about God in printing value on your life and printing value on every life that you know. It is His joy to rescue people. I close with one other verse. This is the weekend of the royal wedding. There's a verse in Isaiah 62 verse five. "For so as a young man marries a virgin. So your sons will marry you, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Now I didn't I didn't I didn't watch the wedding, but I, I said I, I saw some highlights. And what is it, Prince Prince Harry and uh, is it Meghan Markle? You know they they uh, they had some shots of them during the wedding. You know what? I, I, I'm a real profound person. Uh, they looked happy that they were there. Did you notice that? I mean, they, they were excited about the whole event. They were just filled with, with enthusiasm and, and joy because they were going to get married to the person that they loved. And, and so God says, Look, I want you to understand as a, as a bridegroom has, rejoices over the one they're marrying so does God rejoice over you. And just like the marriage commitment is symbolizes the joy that's found in heaven when people respond to him, it also, it also shows the commitment that we make when we turn our lives over to Jesus. God, I, I do, I will. I will follow you because there's nowhere else to go where joy and the purpose of life And the plan of life is not fulfilled to its greatest length than knowing you. And it's the only way I will be rescued from my sin. I give my life completely and fully to you.